Welcome to the Report Card with Matt Malkus, the Education and Policy Podcast from the American Enterprise Institute. If you couldn't tell, I'm not Matt Malkus. I'm John Bailey, one of Nat's colleagues at AI, actually Nat's favorite colleague at AI, filling in as the guest host of this episode. Today, Nat will be joining us from the other side of the interview table. Over the course of the pandemic, masking requirements, and particularly school masking requirements, have been a flashpoint issue. Should masks be required in schools? Under what circumstances should masks be required in schools? And who should decide whether masks should be required in schools? These are complicated questions that need our attention in the moment and that researchers will be studying for years to come as they try to better understand the COVID-19 pandemic and its effects on students. In order to get answers to these questions, we need clear, accurate understanding of what is actually going on in schools. So what is going on in schools? What school districts require masking and which don't? What demographic factors might help explain masking policies in general? To answer these questions and more, I'll be putting Nat in the hot seat for today's episode. Nat recently released the masking edition of the Return to Learn Tracker, which tracks masking requirements across 8,000 school districts and breaks down masking requirements according to the CDC's new COVID-19 community risk levels and other demographic factors. Nat, Welcome to the report card. Well, thank you, John. It's great to have you, Matt. Lay down the foundation. Like, what is the mask edition of the Return to Learn Tracker? Yeah, so the Return to Learn Tracker last year, we spent tracking uh, which school districts across the nation were fully in person, which ones were fully remote, and which ones were hybrid or somewhere in between. And, you know, that took a lot of effort. That resulted in a great data set, which is a fueling. Uh, a bunch of uh, analyses, both in AEI and, and we're sharing with uh, researchers widely. This year, you know, we haven't seen those district closures. And I, I thought the better thing to try and track would be whether districts were requiring masks or not. So that's what we've set out to do. And it's very similar. We are tracking the same bunch of districts. So that's every regular public school district in the nation with at least three schools in it. And that covers about 89% of regular public school students. And, you know, simply put, we're trying to capture with a lot of breadth and depth or frequency, at least we, we monitor it every week. So we capture changes at the week level. And we're just trying to see, do they have in a given week, the masking requirements that are the old CDC guidelines, right? So, you know, it was just four weeks ago, the CDC said every school every student, every teacher indoors masking all the time. And so we just have a sort of uh, yes or no on whether that mask requirement is in place. And moving forward, we got the site up several weeks ago and moving forward, we're tracking those changes weekly. And uh, that's the mask edition. Right. So, I mean, that sounds amazing, but how are you doing this tracking? Like tracking thousands of school districts. I mean, I know... You have a, a mighty team of research assistants working with you, but not an army. How are you, how are you able to monitor 8,000 school districts? Yeah, it's impossible for us to reliably touch 8,600 school districts. We use the same approach that we used last year. It was even tougher last year to do in person because so many districts weren't in person. They were at home. They were operating remote. So what we do is we use sort of a multi-tiered approach, but when it comes down to it, it's a web scraping program. Every week, we scrape 8,600 school district websites, 
part of the reason that we don't look at small districts, those with one or two schools, is because their web game just isn't that good because it doesn't have to be. They can communicate with one or two schools without posting stuff on, on the web. So we only look at districts with three or more. And each week we scrape the district again. And anything that we scraped last week, we sort of pull out from this week's scrape. And then for that district in that week, we have basically the new content they put up. We can't get a machine to read that content, but we, we do put it through some cleanup and some machine learning. And it can then tell us Basically, none of the stuff we got from this district is of interest to masking requirements. And then we don't have to go look there. We assume that whatever status we had from the previous week is holding for this week because we didn't get a news flash. For all those that the machine says they had a mask announcement, you should check it. We send people to look at those websites, read it, and make sure that we figure out if indeed it was a change and when it took place. And so we basically use the web scraper to tell us where to look, and that makes it manageable. Well, that's amazing. So like, given all that data, like, what are you seeing? What's the current landscape for masks in schools right now? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty remarkable. Right now, we have it at 9% of students, and all the, all the percentages on our website are of students. Uh, 9% of students in regular public schools are in a district that currently has a mask mandate. So the vast majority, uh, you know, slightly over 9 and 10, did not as of last Monday. And we'll update again tomorrow. So uh, when this drops, that won't be accurate, but it'll probably be a little bit lower. I expect it to be somewhere around uh, 6, 7, 8%. That's amazing. So like, what are some of the broader trends that you're seeing? And like, what are the big takeaways from this? Yeah. So first of all, just to describe the change over time, right? We look at it every week and basically from early in the year until, you know, like the third week in February, it was holding pretty steady. And I think that this is kind of remarkable, right? So let's look back over the year and what we had. We had Delta surging earlier in the year, and then we had it sort of kind of go low and, um, you know, we, we bent down the curve as it were. And then Omicron came and it really went higher. And we saw some very minor uh, swings on the on the total average, but by and large, about sixty percent of students, a little bit less than sixty percent of students, not districts, but students, had mask requirements through that time. And then in mid to late February, after Omicron had kind of really come down, remember Omicron peaked around uh, just after the the middle of January, and about a month later, we saw uh, decreases. But really, John, the thing that really brought those decreases on was the lifting of mass mandates by governors in states that had had them all year. And this, uh, we had some sort of early ones in uh, Massachusetts and Rhode Island and then New York and New Jersey, and then the entire West Coast on basically effectively on the 14th of March. That was all of California, Washington, and Oregon. And you can imagine when those came down, all of a sudden, a lot more districts had the choice to make their own decision. And an overwhelming majority of them decided, yep, we're done with these mask mandates for now. Um, of course, the conditions on the ground were right for that. But what really sort of held it into February seems to be both the, the CDC guidance that changed on the 28th and then all these uh, district mandates, or I'm sorry, state mandates. Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned this, but it's worth maybe noting and digging a little bit deeper, but in the midst of you pulling together the status that the CDC revised its guidance about how we should gauge risk 
and risk within a almost a county by county basis based on hospitalizations and case instances. And so like that, they've now created this new CDC COVID-19 community risk level. And you've been able to take those risk levels and match it up with the masking requirements. Like what sort of patterns are you seeing coming out of that? And what other demographic trends are you seeing and factors that might be of interest here? Yeah, that's absolutely right, John. And, you know, the, the CDC had this rule and, and we based our measurement on that rule. And that rule is pretty broad. Every school in the nation masked up indoors, all students, all teachers all the time. And, and that went through February 28th. And if you want me to start ragging on the CDC a little bit, I, we could do that for a while. But if the question is, you know, what happened with these community risk levels, they changed it from basically a blanket rule to a rule that was based on county level case rates, so like your new cases in the county, and hospital loads that they were varying. So how many ICU beds were, were empty and, and what's the hospital capacity? Makes a lot of sense. I'm not a, I'm not a public health expert, but I, I can see how those, those local rules may vary. And then in some places we may want to have mask mandates and others we don't. We were able to kind of look at those differences right when they came out for the end of February on the 28th. And the first thing that we have is this sort of overtime map of the United States. You can look on the website. It's return to learn uh, tracker.net. I'm sure we'll link to it in the, the show notes. But anyway, the point of this is that as soon as they transition to, well, you could either have low or medium community risk, which the CDC said schools in such counties did not need to have masking in place at the school level, we went from 100%. CDC recommended masking to about 31% of schools living in those in those counties. And the other surprising thing uh, I thought was that of the, the districts that were either masking or not masking, we had almost half of those schools in the masking category were in low or medium risk counties. In other words, more, more than half of the students that were masked we're in places that under the new CDC guidance, they didn't have to have masking. And then, of course, in the other lane, districts that didn't have a mask mandate, a pretty good chunk of them, close to half, were in the high-risk counties. So uh, when that new masking guidance came out from the CDC, what was actually happening on the, happening on the ground was uh, not a very good match at all. So if... That wasn't a good matchup on the ground. What other sort of weird sort of patterns do you see? Like it's partisanship. Like I think the way that uh, I normally have been hearing the mask issue sort of framed is that you have like deeply red states are the ones getting rid of their mask requirements the fastest and the deep blue states are the ones getting, hanging on to mask requirements. But like what sort of patterns did you see coming out of your data? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly the case. If you look at the, the early maps that we have, so these are the maps sort of with the first CDC guidance patterns available. You know, you see a huge swath of blue on the West Coast. Again, they had state mandates in, in, in place, so that explains a good bit of that. So I, I think it's important for listeners to understand the bulk of these differences early on, or at least a good portion of them, were differences between blue and red states, but not district differences. These are, you know, state mandates. And you also had this on the other side, right? Florida 
you know, they said very early at the state level, no one is allowed to have uh, masks. And we've seen that in a couple of other blue states. But nonetheless, the district differences overall by uh, red and blue districts, and those are districts that either voted for President Biden in the last election or districts that were in counties that uh, voted for Trump. I mean, the districts were the differences were pretty stark. So for basically all of the fall through January, somewhere between 70 and 75 percent of blue school districts had mask requirements compared to somewhere between, you know, 28 and 42 percent majority Trump districts. So um, there's just basically twice as twice the likelihood in blue districts. Now, you can ask the question of whether that's a causality. I mean, all these things are sort of tied together, but we have a number of other sort of district differentiators. And one of the things that I think is pretty convincing to the sort of assertion that a lot of this is really attributable to sort of like COVID culture, local COVID culture of what is the common sense in the locality of how we should respond to COVID. And you can see that um, when you compare districts that did or uh, did not have mass mandates by this data we have from the New York Times that surveyed at the county level how frequently adults in that area were masking. And so we just sort of split this up into two groups. You're an above average masking county, and this is in August of 2020, or you're below average. Well, that is the second strongest predictor in our uh, in all our variables. So how you masked in August of 2020, prior to the vaccine, prior to COVID, prior to the entire 2020-21 school year, prior to Omicron, was the second best predictor of whether you had a mask mandate in February of uh, this year. And um, that's a pretty dramatic statement given all the change underlying masking over that same time frame. God, that's super helpful. Amazing too, but like, what do you make, you mentioned this in your comments that, you know, weirdly these masking requirements didn't change much, it felt like during the Omicron wave. I mean, what, what do you make of that? Like, how should we interpret that data? Yeah, I mean, it's it's sort of difficult. You, you had a lot of things playing in here. I mean, look, I think the CDC didn't do great service by having this blanket guidance up. You know, you, you can read the tea leaves how you like. You know, New York and New Jersey, uh, Massachusetts announced before the CDC changed their guidance, look, we're going to take down our mask mandates. In other words, saying, yeah, we're pretty blue states and we're pretty tired of this CDC guidance, so we're going to leave it up to districts. And then after that happened, you know, over the next two weeks, 90 to 95% of those local districts uh, went mask optional. And in, in Delaware, it was the most stark change. Carney had, the Governor Carney had the mask mandate in place one week, and 100% of districts were masking. The next week, when it dropped, within three days, every district in Delaware had gone mask optional. So, you know, I, I think that's that's pretty telling that this was on those governor's mask mandates. But of course, the governor mask mandates were sort of tied to this blanket guidance. 
So I think I think that the CDC sort of was pushing this line that we should have universal masking, and they pushed it for so long that certainly a, a bunch of uh, red state governors and local districts were ignoring it for a long time, and it got to the point that everybody was sort of sick of it, and 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 rather than leading, they were sort of following the changes on the ground. What's amazing about this is that the CDC and even the Department of Ed doesn't have this data. I have two sort of follow-up questions uh, on that, but like which states did the best in terms of reporting their COVID-19 data? What made it, which states had it the, made it the easiest for you to be able to sort of grab this data and be able to analyze it? Yeah, so when you use the, the COVID-19 data, that talks about a whole bunch of data and I'm just on one little piece of this. So I'll, I'll speak to that. A, a lot of states didn't, have uh, great reporting on this. Ohio was great. Ohio had weekly maps up and they kept up with it about as well as they could. Most other states did not have it as much. And of course, part of that was, you know, in Florida, the state doesn't have to track it because they've got a they've got a ban on mandate on, on any kind of district's uh, ability to do this. So everybody could say, well, in Florida, it's zero percent. And there were other states, right, like all these blue states that I mentioned that had requirements. And so, you know, they didn't need to track it because it was basically at zero. And most other states were not. Uh, I, I think Ohio is the only one that we've been able to uh, sort of corroborate our data against. And, and I think you asked which states were doing well in this. And, you know, a lot of states definitely upped their game this year on reporting COVID cases and, and so forth. Uh, of course, uh, the real question on that is how well did they do reporting their COVID cases last year? And, um, you know, that's a question for, for somebody who's more in the weeds on the epidemiological data. As far as the masking, I don't think it was super central to everybody's sort of, uh, you know, order of priorities. And that's okay, but I still th think that this is uh, pretty important data to have. I mean, we have this tracker of, John, but I, I just want, well, I don't care if anybody else knows, John, but I want you to know that the, uh, you know, I chase this for the data. I want the data underneath it because... I want to know if we have another variant or another pandemic sometime in the future, how well this, these kind of mass mandates worked and maybe did they have any implications for student learning or attendance or enrollment? Now, I think that the data we tracked last year, which we're currently like working as much as we can where we're not tracking masking, had more fundamental aspects on, you know, transmission and COVID case rates and student learning loss and, and, and all the other things, enrollments. But I still think that mass was the question this year, largely not because there was no more threat from COVID to keeping schools open, but because there's just an obvious difference between last year and this year. And that is last year, you were allowed to close school districts. And this year, you just weren't. I mean, nobody closed school districts this year. The the sort of permissible operations standard was totally flipped between one year and the next. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, just to inject a little bit on this, I think you're right that hardly anyone shut down schools, but the more sort of insidious like problem that occurred this year that no one was tracking were the number of kids in quarantine. And there, like, we've seen some polling that suggested one with the Walton Family Foundation recently that said, 23% uh, of families said their kids were quarantined for more than 20 days this like uh, over the course of the school year so far so August through through January and again we don't know how many because no one's collecting this data so it, we're everyone's so grateful to you Nat for doing this 
But like you've been so heads down on this for two years now. Like what states do you think got it right, especially as it related to COVID masking in schools? Is it too soon to say, or do you feel like there are some early contenders for states that that got this right that could be used as promising models going forward? Yeah, that's a super question, but I just want to put an exclamation point on what you just said about the student's absence in quarantine. Uh, John, all those kids in a normal year would be considered chronically absent at half that rate <laughs> across the year. I mean, that that is a huge data hole. And I think it's illustrative of uh, the data holes that we have just kind of keeping track of what's gone on over the past two years. And you know, I'm trying to do some of this through AEI, and, and I think we're making a, a good contribution, but I still think it's, abs- you're, you know, you're absolutely right. We are really seeing through a glass darkly, and uh, it's embarrassing in, in my mind. Okay, so as to what uh, states that have done it well, you know, I, I think that, uh, I'll, I'll just be honest, I think that when it comes to masking and when it comes to how we respond to the pandemic, there's, there's a role for public health that I think would have been better as far as providing clear guidance and information. And a lot of the time we got mandates or uh, sort of edicts. Uh, and that's both the CDC and some states. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not just saying blue states. I think Florida had their bans against masking. And when some of their districts wanted to mask, I thought, you know, let's go back to allowing local control to have good guided decision making. And so I, I find that a problem in, in some red states and some blue states. I haven't done a perfect survey of the states, but I will say that I thought Arkansas did a pretty good job. Arkansas early came out with something that was probably not as, uh, didn't have the multi-layered data that the CDC's uh, recent guidance has with hosp- local hospitalization, but they basically had some zones, right? You're in the red zone or the yellow zone or the green zone. And once you, your district gets in the red zone, mask up. And when you get out, you can mask down. What do you know? Uh, with, with the danger, the risk, as best we can measure it, measure it goes down, uh, we'll do that. And, you know, Arkansas is a red state and their districts responded. Uh, so that we had some volatility in Arkansas, um, which makes it a pain to track, but sure does a lot of good, I think, for, for teachers, students, and families on a number of levels. So on the one hand, you know, they're not masking when they don't need to be. And hopefully, to the degree that the recommendations work, they are masking when it's going to help. But beyond that, it also sort of incentivizes local action to, you know, kind of put their shoulder to the wheel. Hey, our risk is up. Be a little more careful. You want your kids to be back in school? You know, mask up when you go to the grocery store. Just be a little more thoughtful. I think there's a lot of those local feedback loops that we've missed out. And I'll give Arkansas some credit for setting up a pretty common sense system at the state level that that wasn't too controlling and for their districts by and large seeming to follow it. Yeah, I mean, something you just said too, which is so, it was simple, it was easy. Like, I think this is one of the things coming out of what led to some successful uh, public health guidance was the guidance that was simple to understand and simple to do. It was all these sort of complicated algorithms and numbers and gradients of different colors that made just people sort of confused. And so that's a great point. Let's like shift our focus now going forward because we're recording this podcast and we're seeing already uh, over in Europe, uh, the rise of BA, the BA.2, which is the, the stealth Omicron variant. 
And it looks to be about as severe as Omicron, but about one and a half times as transmissible. And so all of a sudden after the Omicron wave, we're seeing cases going up and hospitalizations going up over in Europe. And the one thing that has been proven to be pretty reliable is that what happens in Europe tends to be something we experience a good two to four weeks later here in the United States. And so, I mean, what to make of this? Like uh, we might see another uh, another wave here in the spring in the, in the United States. Uh, what, should we, what should we be looking for? What does your data suggest in terms of how schools are gonna respond to this next wave with their masking policies? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question. And I'm gonna shoot a little bit from the hip here because, you know, again, I'll just repeat. I'm sort of worn it pretty thin by just tracking this data. So getting in there and analyzing it is, is, is going to take a little more time. I will say that, hey, let me just be illustrative. If there's a new variant that comes, I'd rather be in Arkansas than in Florida or in California, because I think the districts in California are largely going to be sort of worn out. Hey, we just went back. What's the rhyme or reason? Whereas in Arkansas, they already have sort of these metrics, even if the the sort of Department of Health in Arkansas sort of says, hey, we're going to put wastewater metrics uh, into our guidance, or we're going to add some other sort of early warning indicators to that. I think Arkansas districts are set up with sort of a behavioral pattern that can go back to masking easy, more easily. You know, there's another thing that I worry about a lot, John, with this, and, and this is a problem with the entire enterprise here. And that is I'm, I'm tracking masking mandates and I can't track, you know, what kind of mask kids were wearing in schools. Of course, no, nobody really has that data, but we did sort of say, hey, just put on a mask, whether it's like an old pair of sweatpants or whether it's a KN95 mask that's going to be much more important. So even if I took all the data that we had and I could analyze it vis-a-vis an idealized model, that could tell me was masking important or not, even if that model said, yo, masking wasn't that big of a difference, the real question there is, well, might it have been if we had insisted on, on high quality masking? And, and that's one of the things that I worry about here. So I, I think some folks might look at it and say, oh, you know, finally, these districts kind of like got rid of the masks. I never believed in the masks anyway. You know, if a new variant comes back and it's much more transmissible, and it's dangerous. I mean, Omicron wasn't as dangerous as previous versions of the virus that we've had, but it wasn't just dismissible either. Then I worry that we've actually got ourselves into a lack of clarity here that we're going to continue to follow our gut rather than good measures of, of science. And look, we've seen waves come and go. There's really no reason for us to slack off and just assume we're in the clear now. And if what's happening in Europe comes over here, I think judicious decisions on masking are, are important rather than, you know, follow the science when the science is whatever you've decided it should be. Yeah, such a good point. I mean, I know we're almost at time here. So just one last question. I mean, what do you hope govern, government officials take away from the return to learn tracker and all this data that you're producing? What, what, what do you hope they do with it? Yeah, I mean, I hope that, you know, researchers could take it and, and kind of understand why some of these decisions were made and reveal some things about future decision makings that, that, that can guide it. As far as, as local governments, I mean, look, we saw a lot of variation in the virus over time. The first, you know, 
vast majority of the school year up through January. During that time, we didn't see much variation in masking. And again, I, I think part of that's fatigue, but part of it is just not the kind of guidance that districts are liable, liable to follow well that's responsive. I, again, you know, I'm not just here to rag on the CDC, but I and other people were calling in October. Hey, give people an off ramp to masks, even if that means mask up now because the risk is high. And I don't think they did a very good job of that for a long, for too long. Once they've got guidance that sort of works like that, my question is, have they been exhausted so much that they're not liable to listen to it? Look, if if we move forward, I think that the, the masking picture captured by the return to learn tracker is not ideal. And that, you know, this may be sort of a Pollyanna wish, but I hope we have some responsible, you know, judicious looks at what we need to do. Because if this thing comes back, there are steps we can take and we need responsible government at the local and state level to guide us in those efforts. Yeah, I think you're so right on that. And it, I mean, the thing that hurt the most during the Omicron wave was just the CDC's credibility. Like it just, it felt like the trust in the CDC being like weeks too late with coming out with test to stay guidance and revised quarantine guidance and then the masking guidance. And it just felt like it was late. And now a lot of decisions are getting made absent what it was the CDC was producing. But, but thank goodness we have your data Nat, thank you for what you're doing and for the Return to Learn tracker. I know we're out of time. Uh, so I just want to thank our listeners. Thank you for listening to the report card with Nat Malkus. And special thanks to our guest, Nat Malkus. I'd also like to thank our producer, Wesley Armstrong, who makes this podcast possible. There's a lot of information that we weren't able to get to in today's episode. So if you'd like to learn more, we'll include a link to the Return to Learn tracker in the show notes. Remember, you can subscribe to The Report Card on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, take a minute to leave us a review. It helps others to find the show. And as always, you can send us your comments, questions, or topic suggestions to ed.podcasts at AI.org. That's it for this episode. I'm John Bailey.